Today, our message is entitled, The Lordship of Jesus. We're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see how Jesus claims that his authority is above all other authorities. So what is this Lordship of Jesus all about? The word Lordship means that he has supreme authority. It means that he has supreme rule. You see, oftentimes people think, well, there's all these religions in the world and there are all these different founders. But Jesus is not just a founder of a religion like Buddha or Muhammad or we could go on and on. All of those other founders are dead and their tombs are somewhere in the world. Jesus is the only one who is alive. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this verse talks about the lordship of Jesus. It says we need to do two things in order to be saved. First of all, you need to believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and so is alive today. No one can be saved by simply believing Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and he is still in a tomb. We don't worship a dead Jesus. We worship a living Jesus. Secondly, you must confess that Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of your life. And when we confess that Jesus is Lord, it means it's not just words. It means that we're going to obey the things he tells us to do. To confess that Jesus is Lord means that we're not going to follow another religion. We're going to follow Jesus alone. To confess that Jesus is Lord, we're not going to obey any other authority that contradicts what Jesus is telling us to do. The simple verse that we confess that Jesus is Lord refutes a a common teaching that we can accept Jesus as our Savior and then perhaps later on make Him the Lord of our life. No, unless Jesus is Lord, He is not our Savior. No one can be saved without confessing Jesus as Lord. And confessing Jesus as Lord is not just a matter of saying those words. Jesus is my Lord. It's a good thing to say those words, but it must be backed up with our actions. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 21, and all these verses are written out in a white page in the middle of your bulletin. You can follow along there as well. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so the confession that Jesus is Lord must be backed up by obedience, by doing God's will, doing the things he calls us to do. Jesus says many will call him Lord, but will not, as he says, enter the kingdom, will not be saved, will not spend eternity with him. And so when a person confesses that Jesus is Lord, when a person obeys Jesus and walks in his ways, there will be certain consequences. There'll be blessings of all kinds. Some things where that we might not consider to be a blessing. When a person follows Jesus as Lord, they're always going to encounter opposition. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many are looking forward to that? Uh, 
It doesn't say might be persecuted. It says will be persecuted. If Jesus is your Lord and you're seeking to live a godly life, you are going to encounter this persecution. Persecuted by whom? Well, persecuted by those who are not following Jesus as Lord, whoever they may be. But persecution is not necessarily a bad thing. It is a mark that you are doing something right. That you are doing something that the devil doesn't like. Jesus, in fact, said that we are blessed in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so when we are persecuted in one way or another, God says we are blessed and we should rejoice. As we go through the Gospel of Luke, we are going to see, we have seen, that Jesus is persecuted in various ways all through his ministry. And those who follow him will be persecuted as well. So today we're going to learn a little bit more about what following Jesus is all about as we follow the Lord Jesus. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 6, verse 1 today. It says, On a Sabbath, while he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest, right? And so Jesus and his disciples were taking a leisurely walk through the grain fields. And as they were there, there was heads of grain, wheat or whatever it might be, barley. And they plucked some of those heads, rubbed them in their hands and got a little snack and ate some of the heads of grain. Now apparently the Pharisees were watching Jesus and his disciples, I don't know, with telescopes or what. They were watching them really closely and they said, oh, look. They're plucking some of the heads of grain and eating it. And so they accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Old Testament law of the Sabbath. The law basically said that every believer should rest on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. Why? Because God rested on the seventh day of creation. And so the Pharisees had written entire books defining what work was so that you wouldn't do any work on the Sabbath. And apparently, plucking and eating a few grains of wheat was considered harvesting and also preparing your meal on a Sabbath. And so they considered it a sin. All of these were man-made rules. Uh, they were not in Scripture. All that Scripture said you needed to rest on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus replied to these accusations in verse 3. Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And so Jesus is referring back to a story in the Old Testament when David and his men were running away from King Saul who was trying to kill David. David was not yet king at this point. And they came to the tabernacle 
And they were hungry. They were running. They didn't have any food. And there in the tabernacle, the priests had the bread of the presence was there uh, on a special table for the shoe bread. And it was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. And David said, hey, we're really hungry. Do you think we can eat some of this bread? And the priest said, okay, it's fine. And he gave it to them and they ate. And so, Jesus is saying that he approved of what David did. It was okay for David to eat this bread because he was hungry. And David was God's anointed at the time as well. The regulations of the Old Testament were not meant to hurt and limit people, but to protect and help them. And then Jesus said very simply in verse 5, he said to them, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He uses the term Lord to refer to himself and what he meant that was that he was the authoritative interpreter of God's word, what it really meant, what was right and what was wrong. By saying that he was Lord of the Sabbath, he was indicating, first of all, he approved of what David did hundreds of years before. And he also approved of what his disciples had done, simply eating a few grains of wheat. It was not work on the Sabbath. It was not wrong. It was not sinful. And so in the next confrontation we'll see today, Jesus is going to explain what the Sabbath was really all about. And so the Pharisees and the scribes had transformed a law in the Old Testament to keep the Sabbath, to keep one day of week as a day of rest, which I believe still applies to us today. It doesn't have to be Saturday as we read through the New Testament, but we should take a day to rest. It's for our own good. A day to worship God, uh, a day to not work. And so they had mistakenly transformed that instruction of God to us into a huge set of paralyzing rules and regulations that were contrary to God's will. And Jesus was pointing that out. But as we follow Jesus, there's not a whole set of rules and regulations we have to follow. We simply follow what he tells us to do. He guides us and shows us what's right and wrong as we obey him. Now, even today, many churches put undue rules and regulations on people, often through Old Testament law. But we must interpret the Old Testament in light of Jesus' teaching, in light of the New Testament revelation. All of the Bible is God's truth, but the application of that truth must be in keeping with God's revelation through Jesus Christ. And even today, those who follow Jesus in the freedom of the Spirit, will be persecuted. Sometimes you may be persecuted by people who are not believers at all or don't believe in God at all. Other times persecution will be from religious types. Jesus was being persecuted by the Pharisees and the scribes who are definitely very religious. They think they are following God, but often are really simply following man-made rules. And so as believers, we must simply follow the teaching of the Lord Jesus through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, as followers of Jesus, not only do we obey his instructions, we also are to do the things that he did. And we've been talking about that in this series. We do good by healing the sick. It seems like we can't go through a few paragraphs in the Gospel of Luke without Jesus healing somebody. Uh, it's repeated over and over again, and we're going to see that today. In verse 6, on another occasion, on another Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So Jesus continued to teach people about the word of God. He would go into synagogues where people were normally listening to uh, the priests or the scribes and Pharisees uh, teaching. He, they would allow him to teach. He was teaching God's truth on a Sabbath. And again, the scribes and Pharisees were watching Jesus intently to see if they could catch him doing something wrong, something that would break another of their rules. And what was their purpose? Well, if they accused him of breaking a rule, they figured it would discredit him and his ministry with the people, and the people would stop following him. Now, on that particular Sabbath, there was a man there in the synagogue with a deformity of his hand. It says a withered hand. I assume that means a hand that didn't function properly. It was his right hand. And it had probably been like that for a long time. Again, what were the Pharisees thinking? They were thinking, well, if you heal somebody, that would be work. That would be a type of work, and that would be wrong. And so they were waiting to see if Jesus would heal this man. Perhaps they brought this man into the synagogue on the Sabbath just to see what Jesus would do. We're not sure, but I wouldn't put it past them. What did Jesus do? What, how did he respond? It said he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to, said to him, to them, said to everybody, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And so we see Jesus never shied away from confrontation. He never shied away from controversy. He could have taken the man with the withered hand aside, healed him secretly. But what did he do? He brought the man in front of everybody. He wanted everybody to hear what he had to say. He was not afraid of confrontation or controversy. And he asked the people a question. Should one do what is good on the Sabbath or what is harmful? And there were crickets then. Nobody said anything. Why? Because if the Pharisees said it's okay to do good on the Sabbath, they were giving him permission to heal the man. That would be certainly a good thing. And of course, they couldn't say it was right to do harm or evil on the Sabbath. So they, they had nothing to say. And then Jesus, in verse 10, after looking around at them and hearing nothing, he said to him, the man with the withered hand stretched out your, stretch out your hand. And he did. And so his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so Jesus spoke to this man and commanded him to do something 
he was physically unable to do. His hand was withered. He couldn't stretch it out. And so the man had to have faith to do what Jesus commanded him to do. And he, as he began to try to stretch out his hand, suddenly he realized he could do it. And his hand was completely restored to normal function. He was healed. You would have thought everybody would rejoice at this wonderful miracle. But the scribes and Pharisees were filled with fury. They were angry. And they began to plot how to further persecute Jesus. Even seeing this healing miracle, an obvious healing miracle, you could see this withered hand. You could see it restored. Everybody saw it. It did not change the hearts of those who were entrenched in this rule-based religion. Jesus had broken one of their rules, and they were very upset. To follow Jesus is to do good. He defined healing as doing good by bringing healing to the sick. Now, there's a tendency among believers today to shy away from controversy. In fact, some even think that if something is controversial, it must be wrong. As we study the life of Jesus, we see he was very controversial and never avoided controversies. Oftentimes, the things that are the most important or very important in God's plan seem to be the most controversial. Now, why is that? Well, because Satan was behind the Pharisees' controversy, was he not? It certainly was not the Holy Spirit. And Satan is behind much controversy today about biblical truths, important biblical truths. What are some of the things that are controversial? Well, we're reading the things Jesus did. Divine healing, miracles, spiritual gifts, controversial topics today. Why? Because they're so important. And the enemy is doing everything he can to stop people from believing in them, stop God's people from moving in God's power. And so we need to continue to seek after God's truth and power and respond to any who would persecute us by speaking the truth in love as Jesus, as Jesus did. God wants us to do good by healing the sick. How do we do that? We pray for people. We pray for people and trust God to heal. Finally, to follow Jesus as our Lord is to pray about every decision. Verse 12, in these days, he, that's Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So isn't it interesting that Jesus, the very Son of God, found it necessary, found it essential to pray on a regular basis. Before he made one of the most important decisions in his life, choosing the 12 men that were going to carry forth his message after he ascended back into heaven. Before he made that decision, he spent the entire night in prayer. Now, you might ask yourself, why did Jesus, the divine Son of God, need to pray? Well, because he lived, he needed to pray because he lived his life on this earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, just as we do. He used none of his divine power in his ministry. 
He laid that down when he came to this earth. Only the Spirit's power moving through him healed people. That is available to us as well. Why did he pray? He prayed because he wanted to communicate with his father. He wanted to hear from his father whom he should pick. He had many disciples following him. And out of them he had to choose 12. God spoke to him. And these 12 were chosen by Jesus to pioneer the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so they're named in verse uh, 14, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. And so in those verses, if you count real quickly, there's ten uh, so far. We're going to read the last, last two in a minute. Ten disciples that Jesus chose, including, interestingly, two pairs of brothers, Altogether, there were 12 apostles, uh, in a sense, mirroring the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And these were the men that Jesus was going to spend the rest of his three years of ministry pouring his teaching into, spending time with them, training them to follow his example, to do the same things that he was doing. To teach the truth of God's word, to uh, teach the kingdom of God, to heal people, to cast demons out of people. Those were the main activities of Jesus. He taught the 12 to do that. And we've already mentioned, then he taught the 72 to do that. And ultimately, many more. All followers of Jesus are to do that as well. So in the final verse of the passage, here's the last two that he picked. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Two Judases, but Judas Iscariot became a traitor. When I was reading this, that just jumped out at me. You see, oftentimes we see Judas as wicked and evil from the very beginning. But I don't believe he was like that when Jesus chose him. Would Jesus have chosen a person who was evil and wicked? It says he became a traitor. Judas began as a follower of Jesus. Scripture tells us he fell away from his faith. He allowed Satan to enter him. And he became a traitor who betrayed Jesus. And it's clear that after he betrayed Jesus, he committed suicide, he killed himself, and ended up in hell according to Scripture. But Jesus did not make a mistake in choosing Judas. Jesus does not make mistakes. He heard from the Father. Judas chose to embrace evil. Judas chose to turn away from following God and following Jesus. And yet it was all part of God's plan. That's certainly a great mystery. But Jesus prayed about every decision. And if Jesus prayed about every decision he had to make in life, we as followers of Jesus must pray as well. So in the Gospel of Luke, he really emphasizes the prayer life of Jesus. We see it many times and we'll see it many more times as we continue to go through this. Jesus praying. Jesus needed to pray about every decision. He needed to communicate with his father. He said he only does the things that he, he only says the things he heard his father say. He only did the things he saw his father doing. He was communicating with his father in order to guide his ministry 
on the earth. And if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray about our decisions? As I was thinking, it seems that our prayer lives indicate how committed we are to the Lordship of Jesus. Let me say that again. Our prayer lives indicate how committed we are to the Lordship of Jesus. What is true of people who don't pray much? Well, they think they can handle life on their own, right? I don't need to pray. I've got it. I know what to do today. Tomorrow I make my plans. I see what's coming. I don't need to pray. That's what they think. They think they can handle life on their own. They don't have much need for God's help unless things get really bad. But you know, just the normal stuff they think they can handle so they don't pray. But those who are committed to praying about every decision do so because they desire to follow the direction of the Lord Jesus. They know that God has a plan for their lives. And it's not just a plan for you know a 10-year plan. I'm sure it is a 10-year plan or to the rest of our lives. It's also a plan for every day of our lives. But do we trust God enough to say, God, what is your plan for me today? Or do we think, God, I got today. You know, it's just about tomorrow. Maybe I need a little help. We need to ask God, what is your plan for me today? How can I follow that plan? What are you telling me to do? Who are you telling me to talk to? What are you telling me to say? It's only through prayer that we can discern God's plan for our life and receive the power to carry it out. And so God would have us to follow Jesus' example in seeking His direction in prayer for every decision in our life. And we will be blessed. And so God calls each and every person to follow the Lord Jesus in every aspect of our life. That's what it means. And we answer that call by putting our faith in him and becoming obedient to him. That's what it means to make him Lord. We seek to follow his example in, in all of our lives. Sometimes we may think or hear from other people, well, you know, you really can't. It's impossible to follow Jesus, you know, and do the things he did because he was the son of God. He operated with the same Holy Spirit that it's available to us. Of course, he was different. He never sinned, did he? And I sin. And the Bible says you sin. I'll sin. But God is gracious and he forgives our sins as we repent. Jesus was the son of God. And yet he showed us, he gave us an example of how we are to live our lives. And so as we see the needy people around us, as we see people needy in many ways, people need healing. People need healing from physical illnesses. People need deliverance from demonic influence. People need healing of all aspects of their lives, relationships, finances, all kinds of things. And God would have us to believe that he can use us to bring healing into the people that we meet who have needs in their lives. God wants us not to chart our own course, which when we chart our own course in life, it tends to, it tends to center on who? On us. But when we chart the course of our life according to God's plan, it centers on 
His kingdom. We are to seek His kingdom first. And we do that by praying about every decision, whether they're large or small. Believe that God has a plan for not only long-term plan for your life, but for every day of your life. And follow that plan. Every day confess that Jesus is Lord. And you are going to follow His direction on that day, including today. And it's not going to be always smooth sailing. Expect persecution. Expect controversy. Expect the devil to throw all kinds of kinks into your life to get you off track. But as you trust in God, He is going to help you make it through. And when difficulties come, my natural tendency is to grumble. But what, are, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to rejoice. I'm supposed to rejoice because God is with me and no difficulty is going to stop me. He's going to help me overcome that difficulty. He calls us to be overcomers. And he's going to bless us as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So to begin as a follower of Jesus Christ, first of all, we need to admit that we've sinned. We've done wrong things. We need to repent and turn away from that sin. Ultimately, sin is simply following our plan for our lives, not God's plan. Secondly, we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, and he rose from the dead. He's alive today. Invite him into your life. Commit your life to following him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. If you never prayed a prayer like this before, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Or if you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning, it'd be good for you to do that as well. Say this, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things, I've been following my plan for my life and not yours. I repent, I turn away from that sin, I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for my sin that I might be forgiven. And I believe he rose from the dead. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. And Father, today, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he says, we want to obey. We want to learn more about what he's saying to us. We want to hear his spirit speaking to us more clearly so that we can follow his plan, your plan for our lives more closely. Help us each day to ask you, how can I live more like Jesus? How can I follow him more closely? And God, when we see the needy around us, give us eyes to see their needs. And give us the faith to believe that you put us in the vicinity of that need that you might minister to that person, that you might meet that need, that you might do a miracle whether small or great. Help us to pray about every decision and not think that we can handle it because only you know the future. Help us to pray about the big decisions and the small decisions 
about the 10 year plans and the plans for today. And God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us through your spirit and then give us the faith to obey, to follow you, even though it may seem difficult. And God, when persecution comes, when difficulties come, when controversy comes, help us not to grumble, but help us to rejoice. Because you are with us in that. You're going to help us through and you're going to bless us as we continue to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you made a commitment or recommitment of your life today, I'd like to ask you to check a box on the back of your Connect card. It's in your bulletin. And put it in the offering on the way out so that we can pray for you. We also have some materials on the table in the foyer, startup studies and a New Believer's New Testament. Uh, I'd encourage you to pick those up and use them. Next Sunday is Easter. And the message is Jesus is alive. Okay, so it's an appropriate message for Easter. And uh, so we're excited about that. We encourage you to invite friends to be with us on Easter Sunday. And uh, we're going to celebrate the resurrection that Jesus is alive. Now we're going to have a time for uh, healing prayer, uh, corporate healing prayer as we do every Sunday. Our verse today is Acts verse, chapter 3, verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And so here we have an example of Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, seeing a need, seeing a paralyzed man who couldn't walk. And Peter knew that he had something. He didn't have a lot of money, but he had the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And he didn't say in Peter's name. He said, because you know, we couldn't do that. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And we can say the same thing to people who have needs in our lives as well. And so today we're going to pray for everyone here who has a need for healing in your life. Or there's someone you know that's close to you that has a need for healing. It could be a need for physical healing. It could be a need for relational healing. Uh, mental healing, whatever kind of healing you might need. And we're going to pray together. So I'd encourage you to raise your hand up as a, as a token of your faith. You're reaching out to God for a particular need. You have a need in your mind. I don't know what it is. God knows what it is. Reach up your hand and we're going to pray together. Pray along with me. Father, today, we're reaching to you. There is a need in the lives of the people that are seated here and they know of needs in others and we're reaching out together to you to meet those needs. We're reaching to you to bring healing. Healing of physical illnesses, God, in Jesus' name. We pray for healing of broken relationships in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for spiritual healing for those that we are praying for who are lost, that they might come to you and be healed through the blood of Christ. We pray for financial healing for those whose finances are in difficulty, that you would bring healing to that area of their lives as they follow your instructions regarding their finances. And today, we specifically pray for those 
who have heart conditions, God. We pray for healing of heart conditions this Sunday in the name of Jesus. For those who have trouble with the rhythm of their hearts, God, or have weak hearts in any way, we pray for your healing touch in Jesus' name. Amen.